Let me pray for us before we look at Matthew 27 together. Let's pray. Father, open the eyes of our heart. Help us to see your great, great love and our great, great need for you. And Lord, help us to take in your suffering. And Lord, to see that it was all done for us. And may we be changed by it, that we would be glad to lay down our life. Pray that you would open wide our hearts now in Christ's name. Amen. So as was mentioned, this is Palm Sunday, and Tom uh, elaborated on that with a children's sermon. And the, you know, this is less than a week later. We're going to look uh, at Jesus' trial, uh, his, his arrest, his trial, and then uh, him on the cross. And this is good for us to think about. This is the holy week in the life of our Lord. And he comes in uh, on a donkey, humble, as a servant, and this isn't what the people wanted. Somebody asked me this week, you know, how can this be in, in, in less than a week? The entire crowd that's all laying down their cloaks, and now they're stripping Jesus' cloak and stripping of his garments and whipping him and, and yelling, crucify him. Because they didn't get the Messiah they wanted. They wanted a Messiah that was going to be powerful, that was going to bring the health and wealth, that was going to bring the change, going to bring in the kingdom now. This was a Jesus that everybody wanted, and this wasn't the Jesus that they liked. Everybody's going to turn on Jesus in this chapter. So there's a lot to drink in. So let's take, I'm going to begin at verse 1 and 2, which is not in the PowerPoint. If you have your Bible, better to follow along. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. They bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. And jump into verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, you have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And then they then had, and they, and they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, who do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was still on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. But when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water, washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers 
of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. They gathered the whole battalion before him. They stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, put a reed in his right hand, and kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry the cross. When they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put this charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. The two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I'm the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabbathani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. This is the word of God. There is so much to take in in this chapter. There is so much hatred that is going on here. And yet there is so much love. There is the hatred of mankind towards God and towards his Messiah. There is love both of God the Father and God the Son towards mankind. There is so much rejection, so much shame, You could call this police uh, brutality like you've never seen it. Mob violence, kangaroo courts, lynching, torture. It's unfair and unjust at every level. Jesus' trial was unjust. They were not allowed to meet at night. That was against the rules of the Sanhedrin. And if they were to meet during the night, they, or they're not allowed to do that, but they're, they're, if, if you were to rule and say guilty, you had to give a day's wait so that there would be time to think about it, which they didn't do. And so when you, and you start to see the lying, they're accusing Jesus of treason, that he is a insurrectionist, that he's trying to take over the Roman government, They have to have some type of charge that would take him down. What are we to make of this chapter? It's disorienting as you try to take it in. Nobody wants to have anything with Jesus in this chapter. Nobody comes to his defense. 
not even his heavenly father. Pilate's wife doesn't want to have anything to do with him. Pilate washes his hands. He doesn't want to have anything to do with him. Judas has betrayed him. Peter has denied him. The rest of the disciples forsook him and fled. And Barabbas, the notorious prisoner who's known for taking, taking lives, he's set free. There are seven questions that are in this chapter. I'll put the seven questions if you can read that. Um, have you ever been falsely accused? And when somebody just starts to ask questions, I mean, we are so quick to just want to come unglued to defend ourselves. And what we see of Jesus in this chapter is what? Silence. He's the lamb going to the slaughter. It's like a sheep before its shears. He's fulfilling Isaiah 53, 7. First question is, are you the king of the Jews? Basically, when, when Pilate is asking the question, he doesn't give a lick about anything spiritual. That, doesn't, that is not in his mind at all. Are you the king of the Jews? Are you a threat to me? Are you a politically motivated person that I should, should be aware of? <clears throat> Are you guilty of treason? And the reason Jesus gives such a non-committal answer to this is because his answer is both a yes and a no. Of course, politically speaking, it's a no. Jesus makes clear my kingdom is not of this world. But I am a king, and for this purpose I was born, he says in John, John 18, to bear witness to the truth that he is a king. He's a reigning king. But it's not what the crowd wanted. They wanted a Jesus that would be an immediate political king who would be useful to them. And once Jesus wasn't useful to them, then they discarded him. And once they realized that he was sheepish around Pilate, and he's, and he's responding all sheepishly, now they're, they're screaming all the more, crucify him. You're not the Messiah of our dreams and hopes. Away with him, crucify him. Question 2, verse 13. Pilate says to them, Do you not know how many things they testify against you? <clears throat> Excuse me. You see, Jesus was obviously not on board with the program. Jesus didn't care about the opinions of men. And Pilate's trying to wake him up. Don't you, don't you see all these things? Don't you see all these things they testify? It's kind of like, you know, you're, you're, you're in school and, and the vice principal, you go down and meet with him and, the, you know, he's trying to get your attention. Don't you see all the things that the teachers have turned in? All these things that are being brought against you? Don't you, don't you realize it's a veiled threat? I have the power to take you down. And... Pilate is looking at, at Jesus, and Jesus is basically saying to him and, and the other accounts, basically, calm down, big boy. You don't have any authority over me except what's been given to you from above. So humble yourself, big guy. You ain't got nothing over me. I'm laying my life down. Jesus is not on board with the program, but Pilate is completely on board with the program. He is completely given to the fear of man and to the crowds. You see, as C.S. Lewis says, Pilate was merciful until it became risky. And that's where, where C.S. Lewis is talking about how courage is the greatest of the virtue because every other virtue will be tempted at the point of courage. 
You can be merciful all you want but until courage comes into play. And then, then when it was time, whoa, whoa, the crowd wants you down. And see, Pilate was already kind of put on notice from Herod. There had already been a, a mob earlier. And so the last thing Pilate needs is a mob in, in Jerusalem or he's going to lose his job. And as soon as he starts hearing them chant all the louder, he realized, my job's at stake. Forget being merciful. I'm washing my hands. But like Macbeth, he can't get rid of this stain. But he three times had said in the other accounts that he's an innocent man. He's an innocent man. He's an innocent man. And even all the bulletins in this chapter, as you're reading along, even Judas, when he, when he betrays me, he, he, he says, I have betrayed innocent blood. And all the bulletins in this chapter is that he is innocent. And even Pilate says, I am innocent of this man's blood. Jesus was, was an innocent man. But Pilate was given to the praises of men. And when he hears, in the fear of man, and when he hears them crying out, he thinks of another way that he can get out of this. And he's one, so he, you know, every, like a, kind of the end of a lame duck presidency, what happens at the end of their, their last term is they release all these notorious pr uh, prisoners. And you're like, I can't believe they, you know, they did that. Well, that, here's Pilate saying, you know, hey, I'll release somebody to you. Same kind of tradition, you know. Let me put somebody before you. Do you want Barabbas? And the reason his first name is not given from church history and, and other people, they think that his name was Jesus. So here you have Jesus, Barabbas, which means son of the father. We got Jesus, son of the father, and we've got Jesus, son of the living God, son of the father. We've got a real son of the living God, and we've got Barabbas. Who do you want? Who do you want me to release to you? The one has tried to bring in the kingdom by power and by force. He's a notorious criminal. He's really a crooked, dirty, scoundrel, lowlife. Do you want him? Or do you want the one who, who's caused the deaf to hear and the one who's brought back the dead to life and the one who's caused eyes to see and the, and the lame to walk, the one who's gone about doing good? Who would you like? And who do the people want? They begin to cry out and the, the question is repeated again in verse 21. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? He knew it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Envy is a scary thing. Wrath is cruel and anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? As Joseph understood when his coat was ripped off of him and Jesus will have his linens ripped off of him. Out of envy, they want him away with him. And so then in verse 22, the question is asked, what shall I do with Jesus who's called Christ? And the answer is, crucify him. And, and then Pilate's like, well, wh why? What evil has he done? And what's the answer given to verse 23? What evil has he done? There is no answer. They just shout out all the more. And we are told that darkness fell over all the land as they mocked Jesus. Three times it says they mocked him. So we have the soldiers mocking him as they, they do this whole demonstration of they 
put this crown of thorns and they twist it and they push it down on his head and then they beat it in with a rod and then they, they put a scarlet robe on him and put a reed in his hand, all making him look like a king. And they mocked him. And instead of worshiping him, they spit on him. And they struck him on the head. And then they stripped him of his robe and they put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. And this is after they had scourged him. And scourge means, that's just a nice way of saying, flayed to the bone, often enough to kill you. But they took a cat of nine tails and they beat him mercilessly. And he's so drained at this point that he can't carry the cross. And so they summoned Cyrene, or the man of Cyrene, Simon, by name, to carry the cross. And then they put the, the, the sign over his head, and it says the robbers are crucified with him, one on his, one on his left, one on, his, one on the right, one on the left. And then it says that the crowds, the passers-by, all, you know, as Tom was saying, you know, two million people. Imagine, this is a crowded place. I mean, you ever been to Redskins Stadium? Time's up by 25. Imagine 25 stadiums of people. That's what we're talking about in Jerusalem, okay? This is a lot of people. And so this is a busy place. And here's Jesus outside the city being crucified. And he's hanging for six hours, nine in the morning till 3 p.m. But it was three hours, it was complete darkness from noon to three. And so Jesus is being crucified and the people are passing by and they start to repeat the things that he said. You know, when you, when you mock somebody, you, you remind them of these, these things that they said. You who d- destroyed a temple and rebuilt it in three days. Huh. And they're mocking him. You know, come down from the cross. You saved others, save yourself. And they're mocking him. And then it says that the robbers who were crucified with him on his right and left, they got in on it. And they were mocking him. One later repents that Luke records. But all this is leading up to Matthew only gives you one recorded word. Only one of the seven sayings of the cross is recorded in Matthew. What is it? It's the seventh question. You see, I've given you six questions, but the seventh one was the haunt. This is the question of questions. As you're taking all of these questions as Jesus and you're being falsely accused, and the big thing of the Psalms is, is even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because... You are with me. And Jesus cries out, question number seven is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Everybody has forsaken Jesus, even the Father. This is hard to drink in. And we are told in verse 45 that darkness, there was darkness over all the land. That's a physical darkness, but Matthew's writing that so that you will catch the literary imagery and the the catch of the spiritual darkness of the whole chapter. Kind of like when John said in in John 13, 30, he gives the idea that, that Judas Iscariot, after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. That is loaded when you read that. 
It is darkness. And in Luke, it says, Jesus says, have you come out at his, at his arrest? He says, have you come out against me as a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you didn't lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. And they seized him and led him away. So we're, 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 we're shown us, we're shown that this is just darkness. And the father has turned away from his son. So here you have all these things that are going on in this chapter. And you have the Lord of glory on display as the man of sorrows, the man of shame. You have the righteous one, the only righteous one being condemned as a criminal. You have the one to whom all judgment has been committed being judged before this kangaroo court. You have the one who has saved others who isn't seemingly saving himself. The one who's healed others doesn't heal himself. The one who teaches with all authority, who could always silence all the teachers of the law to the point where it says they asked him no more questions. He's now silent before his accusers with nothing to say. He's a sheep going to the slaughter. The answer to this question of what is going on here is God is turning the world right side up or upside down. You see, this is nothing but the hatred of man towards God, but it's the display of the love of God towards man. It's a display of the complete sovereignty of God to fulfill the scriptures, and it's a display of my sins and your sins being atoned for on a cross. And you have to ask, why is God doing this? Why is God doing this? Why does God allow this? Well, first, just consider the hatred of man for a minute in this chapter. Jonathan Edwards once said in one of his sermons, if unconverted men would, unconverted men would kill God if they could get their hands on him. Well, they got their chance in Matthew 27. You wonder how this is expressed today in lots of different ways. I came across an interesting story this week, by, and it's a story about Anne Rice, and she's an interesting lady. Um, she's written all these kind of vampire books. They're fiction books. Some of you guys may have heard of her before. I don't know if you've read her stuff or not, but, but she decided she was going to write a historical novel on the life of Christ uh, called Christ the Lord Out of Egypt. And when she was doing that, she had returned uh, to her, her roots, the Catholic Church, and she, she has since left, so I can't give a wholehearted endorsement. She did not, she couldn't embrace the church's position on uh, intolerance towards same-sex marriage and homosexuality, and so she's since left the church. But in her journey, as she, you know, she's written all this stuff, and, and apparently a very good writer, but she began to search about Jesus, and what she discovered was this. She said the skeptical arguments that insisted that the Gospels were suspect, she started realizing that all the data, okay, all the arguments against Christ, the, the arguments lacked coherence, they were full of conjecture. She realized that the assumptions were piled on assumptions. She thought there was absurd conclusions reached on base, basis of little or no data at all. And then she, so she's starting to dig into this, and she says this. She says, some people pitied Jesus as a helpless failure. Others sneered at him. Some showed outright contempt. 
And, she, and then she, she realized, she said, the whole case for the non-divine Jesus who stumbled into Jerusalem and somehow got crucified had nothing to do with, and had nothing to do with Christianity's founding, which came later. She said, the whole picture, which floated in liberal circles I had frequented for 30 years, the case was never made. Not only was the case not made, but I found something even more surprising. I discovered that these scholars, so many of them, that had devoted their life to New Testament scholarship, disliked Jesus. There's a surprise. And her point was this. Here's, here's somebody who's not, you know, she's looking in at this and she's investigating this. She's saying, what other field of research ever does this? This is just absurd. She said, people who go into Elizabethan studies are not out to prove that Queen Elizabeth is an idiot. They go into Elizabethan studies because they like to read about Elizabeth. But she discovered that people, all these people are going in to study about Jesus because they hate him. And so they, they, they have a crusade against him. And she said, people, don't make, people in Elizabethan studies don't make snickering remarks about her or spend their careers trying to pick apart her historical reputation. She concludes, occasionally scholars will study a villain in history, yes, but even then, they tend to argue for the importance of his or her place in history. But in general, scholars don't spend their lives in the company of historical figures whom they openly despise. But these New Testament scholars detest and despise Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? And, there are, and, and there's places in the Bible where it talks about even the church can be sometimes synagogues of Satan. There are people that preach that hate Jesus. And what you have in this chapter is darkness is trying to expel the light, but the darkness couldn't overcome it. Sinners are working the crowd. They're working the mob. They're stirring up their violence and bloodlust. They're stirring them into a frenzy. And Jesus is scurred and flayed, flayed to the bone, and he's brought out, and, and Pilate thought he would satisfy the crowd by bringing him out and said, behold the man, in John 19. And it didn't work. And instead of worshiping him and kissing him, they're spitting on him. They want to get rid of him. They're dividing up his garments. And they're mocking him. And so what we see in this bigger picture of the Bible is this is what the Bible has always been pointing to. Isn't this interesting? That God in his love for mankind, he sent his son and his son is accomplishing our redemption by dying on a cross. And he's resolved and resolute to do it, to completely fulfill the scriptures that were spoken. And so Jesus fulfills Leviticus 16. He is the scapegoat who would bear our sins. And they would put the sins on the scapegoat and run him out of town. But, and Jesus isn't running into the woods like this scapegoat. Rather, he's stumbling outside of Jerusalem and falling to the ground. And they nail him to the wood of the tree at the local burning dump outside of town. He's a scapegoat. Jesus fulfills Isaiah 53. He's the man of sorrows and the one from whom we hid ourselves. We despised him. We esteemed him not. That means we counted him a big fat zero. It's an accounting term. We esteemed him liability. We esteemed him not. Nothing of value. Yet he has borne our griefs carried our sorrows, wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. This is vicarious. It means it's on behalf of, some, of somebody else. He's a substitute. He's doing this all for us. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
stricken for the transgression of my people. His soul makes an offering for sin and he bears their iniquities. He bore the sin of many, makes intercession for the transgression, for the transgressors. He was cursed that we might be blessed and God punished sin so that God could be just and the justifier and sin wouldn't be punished twice. You see, by his wounds, we are healed. Upon him was the punishment that brought us peace. He makes many to be accounted righteous. Do you see how we get blessed? We get healed. We get peace. We get righteousness. Isaiah 53. Jesus fulfilled a vow that he made to Abraham when Jesus is the one who walked between the pieces, between these bloody carcasses on either side, saying, I, that will be me if this covenant is not fulfilled. And he's got bloody criminals on either side. Jesus was the lamb caught in the thicket when the lamb was offered up rather than Isaac. And Isaac was called to offer up his only son whom he loved. And his son Isaac carried the wood to the place of sacrifice. And just as he was to offer him up, God stopped him because there was a lamb caught in the thicket. And well, Jesus was the lamb. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before his shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. As for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the lands of the living? stricken for the transgression of my people. They made, made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. The Lord is my shepherd, and the good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. And Jesus became that sheep that would walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And God was no longer with him because God was punishing him for our sins. He didn't have any rod or staff for comfort. He had Psalm 88. Darkness was his only companion. And Zechariah has prophesied that they will look on me, on him whom they've pierced. And on that day, there'll be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. There will be this fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners purged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains as we sing. Jesus was that rock that was struck and out came blood and water when he was struck with that spear. Jesus fulfilled Zechariah 13, 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Awake, O sword, and strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. And we know how painful it was for Abraham to lift that knife and to look down at his son. And we know for the father that says he spared him not, but delivered him up for us all. This, this so, was so hard on the father the love of God to turn his face against his son to punish sin so that he could be just in punishing sin and yet the justifier who could bring us in so that we could come into his presence. And we're told in Hebrews 1 that Jesus, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Yet here in Matthew 27, isn't it interesting that Jesus is the one standing on the little platform they make at the bottom of the cross so he could push himself up and down for every breath as he's 
paying for our sins. And the high priest was always standing. Well, Jesus is standing. And it says about the, the, the guards, it says they sat down to watch. Well, they sat down to watch why Jesus stood up to make atonement for our sins. The overtones of Psalm 22 run through this chapter. We're told in Psalm 22, he's the one who would be scorned by mankind and despised by the people. Jesus, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. That's what they were doing. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And of course, Psalm 22 begins with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Matthew 27 only makes sense if you see we have a Savior who's come to save his people from their sin. It's the only way. Otherwise, it is just mass confusion. And you say, well, what's the point? What's the point of this? How does this help me in my life? And it's almost like we can miss the obvious. Jesus laid down his life, and we are called as believers. Believers, we are called to walk these, these steps. We are called like Simon to take the shame of carrying the cross, of, 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 of letting go of power, and accepting the difficult things that come into our lives. I mean, we are called to have the mind of Christ who, who thought it not equality with God, something to be grasped, but, but took the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself and took the very nature of a doulos, of a slave, and he took it upon himself and became obedient, obedient to death, even death on a cross, so that we would do nothing out of selfish ambition or rivalry, competition, pride, but that in humility we would consider others better than ourselves. Jesus is fixing the problem of man's rebellion against him by substituting himself where only man should have been there. And Jesus is substituting himself. Romans 15 puts it like this. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we may have hope. May the God of encouragement and endurance grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another as Christ has received you for the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, we are loved. And we hated you. Lord, we can so see ourselves cry out among the scoffers. Lord, we want to praise you and thank you that you stayed on that cross or we would have never been saved. 
thank you. And so, Lord, give us the grace to follow you and not to be ashamed of you. We praise you for what you've done. May we see it was done for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Let's stand and sing together.